I want to say hello to my friends that are tuning in online. A special hello to Shivani that is tuning in from London, England. We're so glad to have you online with us this morning. You can't hear it, but people are like clapping for you right now. So that's pretty cool. That's never happened before. Um, hey, we're really glad to have you with us. If you weren't here last week, I want to say Happy New Year. And I want to remind you, this year, we're kicking off a brand new initiative called Grow. And the whole purpose of Grow is for us to grow in our relationship with Jesus as individuals and as a church family. And we're going to do that specifically by studying through the gospel of John together. John was one of Jesus's closest followers. He chronicled his life for us. And so as we study the gospel of John together, our goal is to learn how to follow Jesus' example, to live the life that God intends for us to live. And so here's a couple of ways that you can participate. If you're in the building with us, you can go to the info hub and pick up one of these journals and a reading plan. And the purpose of the journal is just for you to journal your thoughts and your prayers. My son told me today, this was pretty cool. He said, I'm going to write down a couple of verses every day from the gospel of John. And by the end of the year, I, I will have written the entire gospel in my own handwriting, which I thought was a, a really cool thing to do. But that's the purpose of the journal. Journal your way, journal your, your growth journey here. Uh, also, we've got these reading plans. So if you're online, you can swing by the info hub during the week and grab one of those. Or you can go to genesischurch.me forward slash grow, and you can download the reading plan there. But the reading plan is only a few verses every week. Like this week, it's only 18 verses. This is very doable, very manageable. And so we want to invite everybody to participate with us in this way. And as Nikki just said, we've got some new groups that are going to be launching in the next few weeks. And those groups are a wonderful place to connect with people to talk about as you're studying through the scripture together, to pray for one another, to, to enjoy life together. So if you're not part of a group, please pray and, and ask God to help, help you find a group that's right for you. And we would love to do that as well. Those are going to be launching in the next few weeks. You're going to hear all about that in the weeks to come. Uh, but as we begin today, I wanted to take a moment to pray and to ask for the Holy Spirit's help as we jump into John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we love you. And it is so good for us to be together today as a church family. I'm thankful for the gift of, of this family uh, that we call the church. And Jesus, we're so thankful that you have given us the gift of life. We're thankful for the gift of your word, for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Right now, as we, as we jump into John chapter 1, would you open up these passages to us? Would you help us to see things we haven't seen before? Would you help us to hear your voice? Would you help us to leave here today challenged to grow and to apply your word in new, in new ways so that we can become more and more like you, Jesus. We love you and we praise you. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. Well, over Christmas break, our family was flipping through Disney Plus one night and we came across a documentary that I would highly recommend that all of you check out if you haven't seen it yet. And you're gonna really like it if you're afraid of water and claustrophobic, okay? It's called The Rescue and it is about a cave, uh, an underwater cave rescue of 13 boys that got trapped in a flooded cave in Northern Thailand in 2018. And oh my goodness, like, you, you've got to check this out. And I don't want to give away too many details, but here's, here's the baseline of the story. These boys go back into this cave. It floods unexpectedly. The monsoon season came early. It was going to stay flooded for a while. Their parents couldn't find them. They discover their bikes on the outside of the cave. Everyone realizes that they're trapped. And several hundred people from all over the world came to this little village in northern Thailand. And they pulled together their resources and their uh, their skills to try to pull off this seemingly impossible rescue mission. And I just want to give you a feel for what this rescue mission 
look like. So here's a picture of the cave system. You can see it sits underneath this mountain, but it goes up and it goes down. And remember, this was flooded. So this would have been mostly flooded with water. But here's the thing. The cave didn't just go straight back into the earth. It actually had a bend to it. So here's an aerial view of that same cave. And you can see this is a really tricky system. And it goes up and down and around. And again, it's flooded. The only way to make your way through this cave to rescue these boys was with full scuba gear. And let me show you what the water looked like. This is a picture that one of the divers took, okay? This is with two flashlights on both sides of their head. The water is this dark and murky and this little line is their lifeline. It's the line that they would use to pull themselves through in and out. You lose track of that line, you're a goner. You don't know which way you're going. You're gonna run out of oxygen. You're going to die. So this was a really tricky rescue. On top of it, the water didn't just look murky. It was actually rushing like a river. One of the divers said it was like going whitewater scuba diving. And they said that the current was so strong, not only could they not see their hand in front of their face because of the murkiness of the water, the current was so strong. He said, I was afraid to turn my face to the side because I thought it was gonna rip my mask off. I would lose the seal and I was going to drown where I was. Now that sounds terrifying, wasn't it? And you can see why this rescue mission seemed impossible. And after about a week of divers going into this cave looking for these boys, people were losing hope because they thought there's just no way to make our our way back there. But on day nine, on day nine, two rescue divers from England that had flown in for this, they went as far back, they were determined to go as far back into the cave as they could. They were going to stretch their oxygen limits to see if it was possible to discover these boys. They swam for two and a half miles through that water, up and down and around. And when they surfaced in an air pocket two and a half miles back, this is what they discovered. To the amazement of the entire world, all 13 boys had survived. Okay, now they had been there for nine days. They were severely malnourished and it didn't take them long to understand that the oxygen levels in, the, in that little air pocket were getting bad too. They had a little meter and he went to check it and as soon as he checked it, it started beeping and the guy thought, oh my goodness, they're gonna run out of oxygen before we can ever get them out of here. Now, that's all I'm gonna tell you about it. You need to go watch the rest of it for yourself. I promise you, you won't be able to peel yourself away from it. But I want you to take a moment and to imagine what would it be like to be one of those divers? What would it be like to be one of those boys or one of those parents? Imagine how helpless you would feel as one of those boys. You're sitting on that little air pocket two and a half miles back. You can hear the water rushing. You're sitting in the dark. You've been there for nine days. They had lost track of time. And in their mind, they had to think, well, we're gonna die. There's no way we're making it out of here. Nobody's coming to get us. Or imagine how hopeless you would feel as a parent, knowing my child is trapped back there. I may never, ever see them again. One of the saddest scenes in the whole thing was these mothers would come to the mouth of the cave. They were crying, as you would imagine, and they were yelling into the cave, my son, my son, please come back to me. And they they didn't know if they would ever get to see their kids again. Now, that's, that's that's a pretty rough picture. That's a pretty scary scenario, but here's what's wild. This is actually a microcosm, a small example of the world that we're living in right now. We live in a dark world where we don't know what's going to happen next, and the reality of death is right around the corner. 
And ever since the beginning, when, when sin flooded into our world, it brought with us darkness and fear and an undeniable sense of impending doom and death. Now, I think that John knew this. I think when John sat down to write his gospel account almost 2,000 years ago, I think he realized we live in a very dark and scary world. And so as we read through these first 18 verses today, we're going to see he addresses the dangerous reality of darkness and death, but he doesn't stop there. John tells us that at some point, a light came into the darkness of our world. And that light has the power to conquer the darkness around us, but it also has the power to give us life. In fact, John says the light has the power for us to be reborn, but not reborn as a better version of ourselves, to be reborn as children of God. And that light that brings that life, John says, I want you to know it's Jesus. He, he, he doesn't let us guess at it. He says, let me tell you all about this light. And so we're gonna read the majority of those first 18 verses together right now. And I, just so we can get a feel for what John wants us to know about what he has to say about Jesus. I believe that these first 18 verses, as I've read them and studied the rest of the gospel this week, it's a preview. The themes that we find in these 18 verses are repeated over and over and again in, in the weeks to come. And so pay close attention. And this is a really rich passage, okay? I'm going to warn you, if you haven't read it yet, it's super rich. And so allow the Holy Spirit, as I read this, to draw your attention to certain words and certain thoughts and ideas. Write them down. Search them out this week as you study this, this scripture. So we're going to read it and then we're going to put it together piece by piece. So let's start in verse one. John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jump down to verse nine. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Verse 16, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in the place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father who has made him known. That is an incredibly rich and deep passage of scripture. That's what we're gonna read and study together this week as a church family. And it's believed that that passage is so powerful that the early Christians would sing it as a hymn to celebrate the power and the reality of who Jesus is. But not only that, I learned this week that in medieval times, people would write those first 18, 18 verses down on little parchments of paper and they would roll them up and wear them around their neck as a necklace because they believe that there's power in those words. In the Roman church, those verses were often read over people who were being baptized or they were read over people that were sick. Again, because they believed there's power in these words. And so why, why is it that people view these words as so powerful? What makes them so, so special? 
Well, that's what we're going to study today. That's what we're going to study this week. That's what you're going to be reading about. So I want to start where John begins, back in the very beginning. Look at John 1.1. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if you're new to reading Scripture, you probably don't know this, but this is really significant because that phrase, in the beginning, is actually the very first words, the very first phrase of the very first book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. This is how Genesis 1.1 begins. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens in the earth. And so when John begins his gospel by saying in the beginning, just like Genesis in the beginning, he is actually connecting the story that he is telling us about Jesus to the story that begins in Genesis that God has been telling throughout time. John's saying, pay attention. I'm going to connect some really important dots for you. And the story in Genesis 1-1 is that in the very beginning, God created everything in existence by speaking it through the power of his word. But when John says that in the beginning was the word, he isn't just repeating this idea that God was speaking everything into existence. He's actually letting us know that this word had a life all its own. The word that John uses for word in Greek is the word logos. And it means spoken or a written word, a discourse or an event. It can mean knowledge, logic, or reason. And let me tell you why all that matters. For centuries leading up to Jesus' birth, the entire story of the Old Testament is that the Jews were waiting for their long-awaited promised Messiah that God had promised to arrive on the scene, to be born into humanity, and to rule and reign on King David's throne. And in those days, every good Jew would believe the story of the creation account that's found in Genesis 1-1, where God spoke everything into existence by his word. In fact, Old Testament Jews, and even Jews today, Christians today, we refer to Old Testament passages like Psalm 33, verse 6, that says this, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And so good Jews would have trusted this creation account that God spoke everything into existence by the power of his word. But here's what's really interesting. At the same time, around the time that Jesus was born, there was a Greek philosophy that taught, get this, that taught the entire universe was held together by an idea referred to as the logos, which as we said earlier, means knowledge, logic, and reason. And so here's what John's doing. When he begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was the logos, he is connecting Jews and non-Jews alike to this one major idea that God was sending someone into the world whose name is Jesus to rescue us. But John doesn't just say that the word of the logos existed in the beginning. He says that the logos actually was God. And he even goes on to personify him. Look at verses one through three together. In the beginning was the Word. Notice the capital W. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. We talked about that, but look at this. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. John personifies this Word. He's letting us know Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the Word. He's the one that's always existed. He's the one that's created everything. And Warren Wiersbe points out in these first three verses, he, he points out that John is making two very significant claims about who Jesus is. Here's the first claim, is that Jesus Christ is the eternal word. He has always existed. But it wasn't just that he's always existed and that he's always been with God. John says, oh no, he was, he was God 
He is God. And so think about this. Anything that you could say about God, you could say about Jesus and it would be accurate. Let that, just let that thought blow your mind for a second. But then here's the second claim that John makes. He says, Jesus Christ is also the creative word. In verse three, he tells us that everything was created by him. In Colossians, Paul says that everything has been created by, through, and for Jesus. He holds all things together. In other words, nothing anywhere in the far reaches of the universe has been existed without it being created by Jesus. But again, John doesn't stop there. By personifying the word as the eternal and creative word, he continues in verse four, he says this, in him, in the word, in the logos, in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now the word for life that is used here is the Greek word zoe. And it means the life principle. Now David Guzik explains it like this. He says, what this means is that as the Zoe, as the life principle, Jesus isn't just the creator of biological life, animal life and plant life. Jesus is the creator of all life, biological life, spiritual life, and eternal life. And then John continues by telling us that the life that comes from Jesus is a light for all mankind. Now that sounds fascinating and amazing, but here's the question. What does it mean? What exactly does it mean that Jesus is the light for all mankind? Well, John is telling us that Jesus, as the eternal and the creative word, entered into the world that he had created. And his entrance is described as a light that is shining in the midst of intense darkness, but the darkness cannot overcome it. It cannot snuff it out. Now that image of a light entering into darkness, it reminds me of a scene in that documentary I was telling you about. On day nine, those two rescue divers put on all their gear. They're going to stretch the limits of their oxygen levels. They swam for two and a half miles back, which by the way, took them about three hours, three hours of swimming in that current, in that water, okay? They get to the back. They don't know what they're going to find. They surface in this air pocket, in this room. Now, remember, they got flashlights on their head, so they surface up out of the water, and they begin to look around, and as they're looking around, they notice a light over in the corner that's shining back at them. The boys had a flashlight. They'd been conserving its energy. But when they saw the light come up out of the water, the boys shined the light back to see what it was. But here's the picture. Imagine the hope that that light brought for everybody. All of a sudden, the rescuers thought, I think we found them. And all of a sudden, the boys thought, we've been, we've been discovered. And that's kind of the picture that John is drawn for us here. In verses four and five, he tells us that Jesus came into our dark, sinful world. And it was a sign of hope. It was a sign of life that he had come to conquer sin and death. Now that's really good news. That's amazing news. But according to John, not everybody wants to receive that news. Look at verses nine through 11. The true light that gives light to everyone, referring to Jesus, was coming into our world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, apparently, it took those rescue divers about three hours to swim all that way just to see if they could find those boys. Can you imagine after swimming through all of that for three hours and you surface up out of the water and you find the boys and the boys look back at you and said, what are you doing? Why are you here? We got this under control. Thanks, but no thanks. 
We'll see you on the flip side. That would be an incredibly rude and foolish response. But according to John, that's exactly how humanity responds to Jesus entering into our world. We all look back at him and say, "Uh, I think I can do it on my own. Thanks, but no thanks. I got this one. It's interesting. John says that Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is a reference to Jesus being born as a Jew. The Jews knew that God had promised to send the Messiah into the world. They studied the scriptures. They had waited. And then when he was presented in front of them, they were like, ah, can't be you. We're going to wait for somebody else. So here's the idea. The light had been revealed. The light had been rejected. But John says, ah, not everybody. Not everybody rejected. Some people received it. Look at verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become better versions of themselves. That's not what it says. He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now, this is such an important reality that I want to talk about it with the rest of our time today. Because it's really easy for us to want to rush past this or we become very familiar with it or it makes us feel uncomfortable and we don't know what to do about it. But again, think about everything John's told us up to this point. Jesus is God. He's always existed. He entered into our dark world. He brings with him light and life. And then in verse 13, 12 and 13, John leans in to me and to you. And he says, hey, here's the good news. This is where we get to participate. He came for us. And anyone, anyone that would be willing to put their trust and their faith in him, you can become a child of God. That's the message that we as followers of Jesus have been given to live out. Now, apparently this idea of us being able to become children of God, it left a lasting impact on John because John didn't just write the gospel of John. He actually wrote of several other letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. So when he was a much older man, after writing the gospel of John, he wrote a letter, and I just want you to hear what he says in 1st John 3, 1. He's writing it to a friend, and he says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And this message, that anyone anywhere can become a child of God through faith in Jesus, is at the very heart of the gospel message. Think about it. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, not to generic God somewhere. This idea of sonship and daughtership, it's huge. It's literally the hope and light in a dark and dying world. But it also presents some problems. And I think we need to pay attention to these problems. We need to be aware of them so that we don't confuse or lose the power of this great promise, this great truth. So here's the first problem. The first challenge, the first problem is that it's easy for those of us that follow Jesus to forget our identity as children of God. Now, I know this is true for me. I have been following Jesus for 20 years. And I can't tell you on a daily basis, if not a moment to moment basis, my identity is swinging all over the place. It's easy to forget who God says that I am. And that's my story. That's your story. And guess what? It's John's story as well. In Mark chapter three, 
when Mark was writing his gospel, he says that Jesus chose his 12 disciples. This story is pretty, pretty hilarious when you think about it. John picks these 12 men, and he says, or uh, Jesus picks these 12 men, and Mark says, and two of them were these guys, James and John, they were brothers, and Jesus gave them the nickname, the Sons of Thunder. And you're like, what, what does that mean? Well, in Luke 9, in Luke's gospel, he tells a story about James and John. They're with Jesus, and this group of people, they've rejected Jesus. And James and John come to Jesus and they say, hey, we would like to get your permission. Would it be okay if we prayed down fire on those fools right there? They are our enemies. They don't like you. You feel good about that, Jesus? Can you understand why they were called the sons of thunder? They had a quick temper. They wanted to destroy people instead of love people. Now, I kind of chuckle at that because that, that makes me think, oh, maybe there's hope for me. These are Jesus's closest friends. We can relate to people like that. So that's John's story. But what's your story? What title, do you, what title do you find yourself chasing after or wanting to be assigned to you? Maybe, maybe your past has made you angry. And so like John, you can be like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a son or I'm a daughter of thunder. Or maybe you would say, uh, my story is that I'm a child of addiction. I'm a child of fill in the blank. Or maybe, if we were all honest, we're all, we're all working really hard to, for somebody somewhere to say, oh, you're a child of success. You're a son of success. You're a daughter of popularity. You fit in. But I think deep down, if we were honest, aren't you afraid that somebody's going to assign the title to you of son or daughter of failure? It's not even worth it. Just give up. John says, you know what? No matter what earthly title you are chasing after, no matter what earthly title you're striving for or others try to put on you, John says, forget about all that. Through faith in Jesus, you are reborn. You become a child of God. And here's the thing. We all start out there. I remember starting out there being so excited about this reality. But somewhere along the line, and every one of us do this, every single one of us, somewhere along the line, we forget that our, our identity is who God says we are. And all of a sudden we're like, well, I have some things that I can bring to the table. I've got gifts and talents and abilities. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna use those because I wanna earn my way into God's family. And that's just not the way that God works. God doesn't care about our social status. He doesn't care about our income. He doesn't care about what our career is. He doesn't, he doesn't work that way. We cannot buy our way in. Here's the simple truth. By faith, we believe that Jesus has paid our debt to God and in the process, we become children of God. It's that clear. It doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any more simple than that. And so this year, if our theme is grow, if our theme is to grow, why not grow by starting and in in just holding on to that identity as a child of God? That's, that's where I am beginning this year. I, I want it to shape the way I pray. I want, to shape, I want it to shape the way that I hear my father's voice. Don't rush past this. Don't worry about who the world says that you are or what you're striving for. Just go by what God says is true about you. Now, while some of us are tempted to forget that we're children of God, there's another problem. The other problem is that some of us refuse to accept that faith in Jesus is the only way to become a child of God. And here's the thing. John, along with every other writer of the New Testament, tells us, that a child of God is someone who has been adopted by God through faith in Jesus Christ and through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There literally is no other way. And look, I realize that's not a very popular message, is it? 
We live in an all-inclusive world, but here's the reality. There's a difference between being created in the image of God and being a child of God. And John makes it clear, some people are going to reject this offer to be reborn as children of God through faith, while others will gladly receive it through faith in Jesus alone. And here's why this is such an issue. It's because we live in a world that's flooded with sin. Sin has been a reality for, for mankind since the very beginning. And it, it, here's what it comes down to. We reject God's authority in our life. We want what we want. We want to do what we want. And that sin, every writer of scripture tells us that sin or that rebellion is called sin. That sin leads to death, a physical death and an eternal separation apart from God. And John says, this is why Jesus came. This is why he's entered into the darkness of our world. This is the whole purpose of this passage that we're studying today. And so through faith in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. We're reborn as children of God. And that's the best news ever, but it has to be received on God's terms. He's not angry. He just wants to save us and to rescue us. This is why Jesus has come. And so here, here's a question. It's awkward, but it's a question we all have to wrestle with based on what we're studying today. Are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? And remember, according to John, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, you have not received the gift of eternal life and rebirth and adoption, which means you can't claim the rights and privileges of a child. A child of God can walk around and say, I have been forgiven. I've been given a whole brand new life. Not only that, the spirit of God lives inside of me according to what scripture teaches, but all of that comes through faith in Jesus. And whether you know it or not, whether we realize it or not, every writer, Old and New Testament and scripture, if you're not a child of God, you're not on a path. They tell us you're not on a path walking with God where when you die, you go to heaven and you enjoy him forever. You're actually on a path walking in a different direction that is taking you to the pit of hell apart from God. And that's not what God wants for me. That's not what he wants for you. This is why Jesus has come. And so as we wrap up our time together this morning, I want you to wrestle with that question. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to intimidate you. I'm just saying based on how John defines what a child of God is, if you're a child of God, if your faith is in Jesus, then let's live out that identity. But if you know, if you know you have never received him, today could be the day because he's pursuing you. He continues to pursue me and you every day. There's nowhere that we can go that he is not with us. And there's a reason there's a reason that when you hear a message like this, you get right up on the edge of emotion and you're ready to break down and cry. I believe it's the Holy Spirit whispering saying, hey, just turn, repent and turn back and, and allow Jesus re receive the gift of his death in your place. If you're not yet a child of God, you can make that decision today and it, becomes by it comes by faith through Jesus and Jesus alone. In a few weeks, in two weeks, uh, three weeks, we're going to celebrate baptisms here at Genesis. And baptism is an amazing physical expression of a spiritual reality. It represents new birth. You go down into the water and you're not breathing, you're dead. But you come up out of the water as a representation of a new life started in Christ. If you've never made that decision, we would love to celebrate it with you. And so as we wrap up our time today, based on John's definition. If you're a child of God, you should celebrate it. Don't listen to what anybody else says, but if you're not, what are you waiting for? 
Is there a better offer on the table? Today could be the day that you become a child of God. Would you pray? Father, I'm thankful for your word. And I, I know that a message like this, it's not, it's not popular. But Jesus, you didn't come to be popular. You came to rescue us from our sins. You came into the darkness of, the, of our world, the darkness that we brought. And you came as a light. And that, that light that you bring gives us life. You are the sustainer of all life everywhere, all the time. And so I just, I wanna pray this year that we would grasp our identities as children of God. That through faith in you, Jesus, and in you alone, we would live out a life that is pleasing to you. That you would strip away everything in us that draws us away from you. But I wanna pray especially for my friends today in the room with us or online. They, they know, they know right now, I have never surrendered my life to Jesus. I have never received this gift. Holy Spirit, would you speak to them and would you draw them? Would you help them to celebrate new life that comes through faith in Jesus? Jesus, we love you. In a moment, we're gonna sing to you. We worship you. You are everything that we need. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.